How we doing? I had a unicorn frappuccino before I got here, so I'm feeling pretty good. And um, I think it's 90% sugar. Looks delicious. Doesn't taste that good. But that's my opinion. Somebody at Starbucks thought it was a great idea. Uh, I'm really excited to be with you on uh, International Associate Pastor slash Guest Speaker Sunday with, um, I got a phone call from Jeff uh, last week before Easter Sunday, and I thought something terrible had happened, like the church had burned down because he had time to call me, and I don't work here. So I was really, and everything was okay. Jeff just wanted to make sure that we got, uh, that we were set to speak today, which I appreciate. It was in my calendar. Um, but I think it was wise of him to check. Millennials. It's good to be here. I love it. Thanks for being here. It's a great Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm always encouraged by young people. Young people excite me. They're, they have energy and life to them. Not that older people don't. Uh, but, but the young people really inspire me and excite me. And that's why I do what I do and uh, love what they brought to the table just this morning and share a little bit about how God is working in their lives. So I hope that was a treat for you. Uh, I get to jump right into one of the best stories literally in the Gospel of John. And I don't want uh, to move too quickly and say, hey, you should read ahead of me because it's not the right text in your bulletin because the text in your bulletin is from Acts, which is not right. So don't, don't read that yet. You can read that tomorrow or you can read it later this afternoon. Uh, we're going to be in John 20, which is a really exciting passage. And I just want you to know that the start of this passage is actually Easter Sunday. Like, so we're actually, like a week ago, we're going to start there. And this is a, this is a great story, because it's a story about three meetings. Three, that is not an exciting story, Right? You ever get minutes from someone and you're like, hey, read the minutes. And you're like, yeah, yeah, and you don't. I know how that is. So there's, a, there's three meetings here. And we're Presbyterians, so maybe we get a little excited about meetings. But we're going to just power through and be excited about this. And the first meeting takes place on actually Easter Sunday. And so this is how the story goes. It says, later on that day, you can put the slide up. Everybody can see this. It's kind of a cool icon. Yeah. I like art. No, no, don't put that up. Leave the art up. There you go. Just leave that. Perfect. Just leave it until I go to the next thing. Great. Okay, so it says later on that day, literally Easter Sunday, later on that day, the disciples had gathered together, but fearful of the Jewish leaders, they had locked all the doors in the house. Now, this might be a kind of a a crazy situation that you might think about, but they had gone and watched Jesus get killed And they had followed Jesus everywhere, and he had said all these amazing things about what he was going to do, and then he died. And like they had spent three years walking around with this guy, and then his life was over, he was killed. And so it doesn't surprise me that they gather together, the guys that are left, and sit together and and stare at each other and think, oh my gosh, what are we going to do now? And the fear that would have gripped them, I love that, fearful of the Jewish leaders had locked all the doors in the house because they'd just seen what had happened to Jesus and they were afraid, genuinely afraid that they might be next. And I love that. 
Because that's how I feel sometimes in my life. Genuinely afraid of what I'm going to do next. And it says this, they had locked all the doors, and it says, Jesus entered. Now, it's not like a big, it's not like this, where somebody sneaks in the back, where there's like an open door. This is there in a private room with all the doors locked, probably the windows shut, and Jesus comes into the room. I might have noticed that. Hey, hey, there's the extra guy just walked in. But Jesus just comes into the room. It says Jesus enters the room and stood in the middle of them. Stood in the middle of them. Two things I want to just make sure you understand. This is the Gospel of John, where John is trying to make the point that Jesus is both truly divine and truly human. And his ability to kind of cloak himself and wander through a locked door into a room where people are standing unnoticed is his way of saying that the resurrection, the transformation that happened was real and that Jesus was different. Jesus had changed. His body had changed. And Jesus stood right in the middle of him, right in the middle of them, which is where Jesus always wants to be in the middle with his disciples. And he says to them, peace to you. Peace to you. They, they just seen Jesus die. And he says, peace to you. And then he offers his body to them. He says, it says, then he showed them his hands and his side Almost as if to say, hey, look, this is why you should have peace. Peace be with you, and here is my physical body resurrected. Right in the middle of them. And it says that the disciples, seeing the master with their own eyes, were exuberant. I mean, the story is that Mary ran to them to tell them The story you heard last week, Mary ran to them to tell them, and they were like, oh, wow. wow." But then they got to see it with their own eyes, and they were exuberant. I mean, I, I think about this moment of being really, really close friends with Jesus and watching him do amazing things and then watching his life be taken from him and think, man, what do we do next? And then you get to see him. I would give days of my life to have a conversation with my grandfather again. And the joy that would fill me if I could just see him for one more conversation. And these friends of Jesus, this was a moment of incredible joy. And Jesus repeated what he said. Peace to you, he said. Peace to you. And then he says this. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Just as. is such a key piece of of this story. Just how was Jesus sent? How was Jesus sent? And I think of the most famous verse in the Bible, John 3.16. The same author wrote this beautiful passage, 3.16, all the way to 18. And I'm going to read it to you. 
You can read along with me. This is how much God loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. God didn't go to all the trouble of sending his son merely to point an accusing finger, telling the world how bad it was. He came to help to put the world right again. Anyone who trusts in him is acquitted. Anyone who refuses to trust in him has long, has long since been under the death sentence without knowing it. And why? Because of that person's failure to believe in the one-of-a-kind son of God who introduced, who went introduced to him. Just as he was sent to give his life away so that people would know that they don't have to perish, that they need not be destroyed, to set the world right again. And just as Jesus was sent to do that, Jesus then tells his friends in that meeting on Easter Sunday, really the first church service ever in the history of the world, just as, just as, as. And then he took a deep breath. He, Jesus took a deep breath and breathed into them. Received the Holy Spirit. Just a of air. And it harkens back to the creation story where Adam got life from the creator into his being. God breathed life into him and hear the same story Jesus breathes life into his followers through the Holy Spirit, and they don't have to do anything. This is a free gift of God that they could only stand there and receive. Receive the Holy Spirit, he said. And he says, if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. Jesus isn't saying, you know what, hey, you're going to forgive sins and you're going to be the one that accomplishes. If you communicate the story of what I've done, you can tell people that their sins are gone and they are gone for good. They are gone for good. And this is the story of Jesus that we love. We love this part about Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you, mistakes you've made, how you feel about yourself. Jesus died for all of that, and they're gone. In fact, I like this. Next quote from Dale. The special mission of the church is to give Jesus to others in such a way that they may believe that he really is risen and Lord, and with that simple trust that they can receive with and in Jesus the free forgiveness of sins, the free gift of the Holy Spirit, and the free privilege of passing Jesus and his forgiveness on to others. This is the special mission of the church. And this is what we love to do as evangelists. We love to tell people the truth of this. We love this. But that's not all that Jesus says. Jesus actually pushes them a little bit harder and says, if, if you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive their sins, what are we to do with them? There's like, a, there's like a warning here in this Jesus. This Jesus on Easter Sunday, the first church service ever, gives a warning, a correction. And this is the Jesus that we don't love to talk about. Warning and discipline are parts of Jesus' mission mandate in John's gospel. 
And the faithful church will learn how graciously to incorporate Jesus' warning and discipline into our message. It's not just all goodness that way. It's not just come and be who you are. In fact, Paul speaks about that in Romans often. This is not just a license to do whatever you want and Jesus will be there. If you know what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus has called you to, then go and do that. Go and follow Jesus. And this is the missing piece of the church today that we don't tell people, well, that's not exactly, I think, a Jesus perspective. The two go together. As disciples of Jesus, we should look and sound and love like Jesus. And when we don't, I don't like being told I'm being bad or wrong. How do we do that in a gracious way, in a loving way? I'd think about that. How do we as a church do that? How do we as friends and family members do that? So that's the first meeting. Pretty exciting meeting. Lots of action. Lots of action. It's crazy. Jesus literally died that day or died three days before. He just got up that day and he showed up and he gave him all this good news. Receive the Holy Spirit. Now it says this, and I think it's important. But Thomas, sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve, he wasn't there. He was not with them when Jesus came. He wasn't there. You can go to the other art piece. There you go. Yeah. Like the arts. Sometimes called the twin, one of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came to the room. And the other disciples, doing what Jesus had said, which is proclaim to people the truth of this story, they go and find Thomas. And this is, a, it says, we saw the master. Now remember, somebody else had already told them that and they were probably like, uh, yeah, I'm gonna lock the doors anyway and have this little meeting. Now they all saw Jesus. They go to Thomas, who was one of the guys that followed Jesus around. They go to him and they say, we saw the master, we saw him. He's not dead anymore which is what they should have done. I mean, that's the story here. The reason Jesus shows up on Easter is because the immediacy of that resurrection requires an immediate response in mission. Like the fact that Jesus came back to life, it wasn't like, oh, that's cool. Let's give it like a couple months. No, it was like, hey, he's back to life. Let's start telling everyone right now. And so when Jesus shows up and tells them, hey, I'm alive, they immediately go probably to the safest possible person they can think of. Oh, Thomas, he actually knows Jesus. He followed us around. He saw all the stuff. I'll go to him first. He'll definitely be excited. And I love Thomas. I just love, I love Thomas. People call him Doubting Thomas. He's not Doubting Thomas. He's Realist Thomas. He's like, he's like, no, 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 guys, he died. I was there. I saw him die. You saw him too. I don't know what you're talking about. I love Thomas. I mean, like we had the science march yesterday. He's, he's that guy. He was at the science march yesterday going, hey, I'm trying to see this. I want to see this for myself. This matters. Realist Thomas. 
And he says to them, unless I see the nail holes in his hands, put my finger in the nail holes, and stick my hand in his side, I won't believe it. I love this. This is why I think he's a scientist. Because if he can't show it, it's not real. And there's just such a posture here from Thomas. This like, guys, let's just take a deep breath. No, seriously, take a, guys, take a deep breath. I know it's been a crazy couple days. We probably haven't slept. I wasn't there. I was sleeping in. I missed church. The first church, I missed it. I slept in. I was stressed out. Let's just take a deep breath. So a week later, it says eight days later, but they count the day you're on back then. We don't do that anymore. Eight days later, his disciples were again in the room. This is the second meeting. And Thomas was with them. And Jesus came through the locked doors, stood in the middle of them, and said, peace to you. Which is really familiar. It's a really familiar start to the story. Well, Jesus doesn't have time to waste. And I love this about Jesus, that he has an opportunity. He could talk about anything he wanted. He could have done anything. Could have said anything, talked about the trees, talked about what it's like to be resurrected. No, no, no. This is what he does. He focuses his attention on Thomas. He he turns immediately to Thomas and focuses his attention to him. Focuses his attention on Thomas. Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. He offers his resurrected body to Thomas, the one thing he wants and needs. He shows up and he shows it to him and he says, explore this with every piece of your being and ask the question that you want to ask, is this real? And then Jesus says, don't be unbelieving, be a believer. And this is Thomas's response. My Lord, my God. And it's the first time in all the Gospels that any one individual recognizes that Jesus is God. The author of John's Gospel hints at it a couple times in a couple different ways, but this is the most profound articulation, the pinnacle, the height of Christian belief. Thomas, the doubter, the realist, falling before Jesus and saying, my Lord, my God. And it's because Jesus stood in the middle with them and let him touch him and see him. And he says, don't be unbelieving, be a believer. And he does just that. And Jesus gives kind of this final beatitude that I love. And this is not for them in the room. I don't think this is for the people that were in the room. This is for you. It's a final beatitude. Jesus said, so you believe, Thomas, because you've seen with your own eyes even better blessings, this is the beatitude, are in store for those who believe without seeing. That's you. That's me. That's everybody else, (laughs) for the most part, that Jesus didn't appear to. 
better, even better, are in store for those who believe without seeing. And this is the beauty of this gospel to me. That even though they're telling this beautiful story about Jesus' interaction with the friends in the room, it's really a story for you. It's not a story for them. He's not writing the story for the guys that were in the room. He's writing the story for you. And in the third meeting, the last part of this, and this is the original conclusion of John's gospel, it's all about you. It's not even about what happened in the room. It's about you who's in this room right now. John's gospel is usually the first gospel, first book of the Bible that's translated in any language. It's the most common translated book. Like if you're going to translate a book from the Bible and give it to somebody who's never heard the story of Jesus, this is the one you pick. And I want you to read this conclusion with me. Put it up there. John 20, 30, and 30, 30, 31, excuse me. Jesus provided far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. Far more. Far more. And these stories, the stories in John's gospel, were written down so you will believe. The stories that John wrote down in this gospel, the seven sign stories and the resurrection and the crucifixion, all that, that was written so that you would believe. What would you believe? Well, you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, that he's actually who he said he was, that he is both fully divine and fully human. And that he came to give his life as a ransom for many, that you might have life and have life to the full. Those are all themes from John's gospel. And in the act of believing, the act of believing which is not just a one-time, oh, I believe now, and then it goes away. The act of believing. In John's gospel, you don't differentiate between faith, belief, and actions. They're the same word. The act of believing, that is an action you take. The act of loving is an action you take regularly. You can't just say, I fell in love with you once, and then you're done. You take actions to demonstrate that you love someone. The actions of believing in who Jesus says he is and what he says to us, that is the calling for your life. And it's a real life and it's an eternal life and it's the one that Jesus personally revealed the way he treated people. I love this story. You can put the art piece up. I like art. My Lord and my God. Here's a couple of things that I think about. Just kind of as I think through this passage and this story. I love that the person of Jesus, the resurrected Lord, stands in the middle of his friends. I love that because I think that's the response and requirement of the ministry of all people who follow Jesus is let Jesus be the center of your life. Let it be the filter through which you make every decision. Let it be the filter through which you view the people around you. Let it be the way that the church schedules and structures its services, that Jesus would be the center 
of what we do. I don't think that's just an idea. I think that's the way we're supposed to live. I love this about Jesus in this first Easter service, that he gives his presence to them, that he gives his peace to them, he gives his body to them, he gives the mission that he came to fulfill to them, and he gives the Holy Spirit to them to empower them to do that mission. And they don't have to do anything to take that. It's freely given to the disciples. Of those five things, the presence, the peace, the mission, the spirit, the body of Jesus, what is it that you need from your church? From your church body, if you come together, what is it that you're looking for? Because if we put Jesus in the middle, that's there. And we want to do that. I love Thomas so much. And I think this is the best idea I can have. Honest doubt. Honest doubt is something the risen Lord clearly honors. Honest doubt is something the risen Lord clearly honors. In fact, I would go one step further and say, if you don't have doubts, you should get some. You should find some. Because doubt is not the enemy of faith. Mindless fanaticism is the enemy of faith. If you haven't thought about it and you just run with it, it's probably not much of a faith. And then I'd probably finish with this. For two groups of people in here, today might be a day where you say, just like Thomas, my Lord, my God, for the first time. It might be that for you. It might be, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? I read the story, and this is a story written for me 2,000 years ago to understand who Jesus is, and now I do. Now I believe. Well, that's a conversation for you with Jesus. But I think you should tell someone. I think you should tell somebody that's with you here, or tell somebody, maybe you're uncomfortable telling them face-to-face, maybe you call them later. Maybe you come over for coffee and say, hey, I have to talk to you. My Lord and my God is not just a universal saying. It's deeply personal while acknowledging the universal truth of who Jesus is. And for some of us that have believed for a long time or belief is something we've held on to, today is a day to begin taking action steps of faithful trust in who Jesus' person is to transform your life and the life of the world around you. The calling is incredible. It's intense and it's meaningful. And if you don't have that sense, if you don't believe that you're one called, don't believe the myth. You are called to carry on the ministry of Jesus just as he was. All of us as a group, And each of us as individuals, we call it the priesthood of all believers. And it's how we're to live. May we all just be like Jesus in the way that we interact. That we might come and stand in the middle with our friends. In times of fear and crisis and joy and hope.
would we be those people? Amen.